Hello. Hello. Uh, welcome back, guys. This is the Weirdest Thing Podcast. I am one of your hosts, Scotty Milder. I am one of your other hosts, Melian Puero. So it occurred to me, I never, like, I, you know how I said I was going to put out, like, a social media announcement about why we yeah. were taking a break? I never actually did. So do you want to explain in any way why sure. we had to take a break? <laughs> sure, right, because the last thing people heard is that I was like, if I survive my surgery, I think yeah. we disappeared for a month. <laughs> right. uh, so I did survive my surgery. I had a septorhinoplasty, mm-hmm. and I'm not remembering what it's called, but they also had to basically like spelunk into my sinuses and Mm -hmm. kind of like carve out some space in there. Uh, Basically what had happened, dear readers, uh, (laughs) is at some point that I have no memory of broke the hell out of my nose. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if that caused the deviated septum or if I also had a deviated septum, but Mm -hmm. my nose was very crooked, Mm -hmm. Uh, not Owen Wilson crooked, but rather (laughs) was just growing out of my face at a, at a, at a pretty significant. <laughs> yeah. And everybody's been like, I never noticed it before, but then they see me now and they're like, the new nose is like, really, <laughs> it's really working for you. And, um, mm. and I'm like, yeah. So they had to go in and, and I guess like undeviate my septum. And then in order to straighten my nose, they had to break my nose in five places. Mm-hmm. And then, like I said, they went and uh, they had to carve out some space inside my sinuses because they were, one side was all compacted and constricted because my nose was at like a 45 degree angle to my face. <laughs> right. So that's what I've been up to. I'm interested guys, like half, like 50% of the people who talk to me and there goes my dog <laughs> in the zoomies. This is going to take a sec. I'll drop in the the stupid song. (laughs) Good girl. Are you done? Good girl. I think she's done. Okay. Okay. (laughs) So 50% of the people that I talk to on a day on, you know, regularly in real life say that I sound different. And then the other 50% are like, there's no discernible difference. Mm -hmm. So I'm interested to see if listeners are like, who the fuck is on the podcast? (laughs) Where did Amelia go? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's definitely discernibly different to me, but not like wild. Like you don't sound like an entirely new human being. Yeah. Yeah. I I can, I can hear the difference. Yeah. I've had a couple of people who've been like, it sounds like a completely different person. Mm -hmm. Uh, Drop us a line in the comments. Yeah. (laughs) If if you think that this is in fact Amelia or if Amelia was replaced by a body snatcher. There we go. Yeah. Well, so how's it feeling? You, you're pretty much all healed up at this point. Yeah. I mean, it's still, I mean, I have a nose that's been broken in five places. Sure. Um, interestingly enough, I feel stuffy. Mm-hmm. So it feels like I'm not like breathing as well as I should, but I'm also not sure if maybe that is just like, oh, this is actually what like open breathing feels like. <laughs> <laughs> and I've just been conditioned to breathing the other way my entire life. So yeah. uh, well, there's probably yeah. still some swelling because I, I had a much less intense version of the same surgery a few years ago. Right. And it took a while for the swelling to go down when they go in and do all the shit in your sinuses. So, yeah. So, uh, yeah. So that's, what's been going on there. I'm doing 
well off of the painkillers, which is you know, <laughs> su- success. And yeah, it's been, I like, I'm, I can't, every time I say this to people, everybody's like, there goes your social life. And I'm like, <laughs> what do you, what? but I can't have anything hit my nose for six months. Mm-hmm. Um, so Listen, what I'm saying is that I'm getting a lot of jokes about dicks and balls swinging in my faces, which I think is honestly I mean, rude. I was like, I was like, I knew you were going there. I wasn't going to say, I was like, I'm not going to be the guy to say it. No, it's, it's it, like this almost, yeah, almost every, and I mean, they've all been like female friends of mine that have been like, oh, and I'm like, what do, what do you all think I'm doing? Um, Hi, mom. <laughs> Precisely. That's my other podcast. Um, we'll talk openly about that, but just kidding. Uh, yeah. But other than that, it's okay. It's still like nose is still kind of tender. Occasionally mm-hmm. I'll, you know, wake up with my face like smooshed in the pillow and I'm like, all oh, right, I have a nose. Mm-hmm. I have a broken nose. Yeah. I remember, I mean, mine, and again, mine was not nearly as intense as yours. And like, it took several months before it really felt like it was like healed, healed. So, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And it's been, you know, it was a, it, it's really more than anything, like the fatigue and honestly, a little mm-hmm. bit of like the, like the post-surgery blues that I got, Yeah, which is like something that I wish somebody maybe would have told me. So I wasn't mm-hmm. like, what am I doing with my life? Yeah. You know, of the, it would have been nice if they'd been like, Hey, BT dubs, like your, your mood the, might be this, a little, this might happen. Right. Yeah. Unregulated mm-hmm. um, for the next, next little bit here. But other than that, it's good. I'm alive. I was really hoping for some pretty intense bruises after the <laughs> surgery and I did not get them. Mm-hmm. Such is life. <laughs> you, you do look very disappointed. <laughs> well, because they were just like these little like half moon right. bruises that I just got right here. And I was really hoping for like a fucking, you know, mm-hmm. was like, hoping for a good Instagram picture. Yeah, like went 12 rounds with Muhammad Ali or something. Yeah, but I yeah. didn't get it. No, no such luck. Well, we're back. Um, but we also should make another announcement that we're things yes. are gonna things are gonna change uh yes. shortly for a while. Which I can't make the full announcement just yet no. about well, why okay. things are changing, but things are gonna be changing a little bit here in the next little bit. Everything's cool, everything's totally fine, yeah. and hopefully I'll be able to make the full announcement soon. Mm-hmm. But it's all good stuff. Uh, yeah. Let's and... suffice to say your 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 summer is going to be busy. Yes. Let's let's put it that way. Yes. So we're banking a few episodes. Mm-hmm. Um, we're going to record with Amelia when uh, she's available. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're talking about having uh, some maybe some guest hosts on with me uh, to fill in off and on. So I'm excited. Uh, we haven't really figured out the details of all that yet, but uh, right. yeah, just wanted to give you guys a heads up that there are going to be some changes for the next little while. And it's not going to be permanent. Yes. Um, and hopefully we can like have some fun, different types of episodes maybe. So yes. Yeah. It's going to be good times. Don't be scared. Change yeah. is good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Just lean into it. Lean yeah. into it. <laughs> or how do you right. how do you always put it release into it yeah, yeah release into it exactly <laughs> just release into the new circumstances yeah um awesome should we should we get cracking yeah i have no memory of who's supposed to go first so um i had asked if you would go first for this that is correct mm-hmm. okay and now i remember all right well i guess i should just dive right on in Let's so do it. okay so i'm gonna talk about 
I don't really have a cold open this week, but I'm going to talk about one of my favorite conspiracy theories Mm -hmm. um, and one of the most famous that ever sort of graced rock music. We're going to talk about the rumors that Paul McCartney had died and was replaced by an imposter. So this is yes. this is the Paul is dead story Fantastic. Uh, here on The Weirdest Thing. Um, so my sources are Wikipedia, uh, an article from gadflyonline.com called The Man Who Killed Paul McCartney. Also a uh, YouTube video from Today I Found Out. That's the name of the channel. It's called How the Rumor That Paul McCartney Died in 1966 and Was Replaced Got Started. Um, and then from Rolling Stone, article Paul is Dead, The Bizarre Story of Music's Most Notorious Conspiracy Theory. All right. So to really understand this, we have to do like a pretty deep, detailed dive into the early history of the Beatles. Oh, okay. Just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I was just, I was just going for that look on your face. <laughs> uh, no, like we all know who the fucking Beatles are. I don't need. Oh the, my like... god! I was like fucking hell. Yeah. Oh Jesus. <laughs> yeah, just buckle up for the next four hours. No, like fucking Ken Burns documentary. Like your eyes got so fucking big, and you just looked like so defeated by life. <laughs> Uh, no, we all know who the fucking Beatles are. Um, We don't need to, just for anyone who's living under a rock, here's just some basics of the early story of the Beatles. Uh, They're formed in 1956, originally called the Blackjacks, uh, but then they had to change their name because there was another Liverpudlian band called the Blackjacks, so they became the Quarrymen. Paul McCartney, 15-year-old Paul McCartney, joined in 1957, 1958. George Harrison joined. They had a couple other guys with them for a while. They had a guy named Stuart Sutcliffe. He was the bassist for a minute. They had a guy named Pete Best. He was the drummer for a minute. Uh-huh. They played in Hamburg, Germany a bunch. They started getting pretty popular. They fired Pete Best because it sounds like he was kind of an asshole and couldn't keep time, um, <laughs> at least according to one article I read. <laughs> and then they brought in uh, Ringo Starr in 1962. Their first single, Love Me Do, was released in October of 1962. was a pretty big hit. And the rest is history. Uh, The Beatles became basically the biggest band in the world, uh, according to John Lennon, bigger than Christ. So so that's that's the Beatles. We're going to skip a whole bunch of their career because we don't need to go into like fucking help and rubber soul and all that stuff. Let's jump forward to about 1966, 1967, actually. So the Beatles, you know, they started off like pretty much like a pop rock. Well, they really started off as like a dirty rock band. Like when they're Mm -hmm. playing in Germany, they were like, you know, wearing leather jackets and shit. But by the time the famous Ed Sullivan show, like, you know, they've got their little mod outfits and they're doing like, love me do. And like that type of stuff. Yeah. They pretty quickly were like, okay, fuck this. Uh Um, This is of course the sixties. The, you know, the psychedelic era is rising. Right. And the Beatles were part of that. And they were like, we don't want to be fucking teen idols. We've got other things we want to do. They became so huge that they were already becoming cultural icons, Mm. like godlike figures around the world. I mean, I don't know that anyone in our generation can really understand what like Beatlemania was like. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, we've had little like bits of it, you know, similar think, things here and there. I think the thing about it, which is funny because I'm going to talk about this a little bit in my story as well, is what we have to recognize is that when we grew up and, you know, chicks were losing their minds for Motley Crue mm-hmm. and like when the Backstreet Boys and Sync and stuff came along, we already had the template for that because of the right. Beatles. 
Right, right. But before that, I, I mean, nobody was like, fuck at like, you know, the at like the, you know, any Perry like Como big, or something <laughs> or like, you know, the fucking big dude in the big band and whatever. I can't think right. of, you know, but like people listened to music and they enjoyed it. And then around the time of the Beatles, like yeah, is I mean, when people started to lose their effing mind. I mean, you started getting, I think, some of that uh, with like Elvis a little mm-hmm. bit earlier, mm-hmm. but I mean, when you really read about Beatlemania, it was like another level because it was literally fucking everybody lost mm-hmm. their goddamn minds about this fucking pop band. Mm-hmm. I mean, the closest we've probably seen in our lifetime would be like Bieber fever or something. Yeah. Which, you know, for me as an old, like I found very confusing and uh, I don't know, I was just pretty flummoxed by it. And so I'm imagining like the parents of the 60s were like, what the fuck's going on here? Yeah. So, but, but the Beatles, they weren't into it. I mean, they were probably into it for like a minute, but they got over it pretty quick. They started like everyone else at the time started dipping into psychedelia and a lot Mm -hmm. of Eastern philosophy, started getting into drugs. Yep. And they started really wanting to like push some limits with their music. Also, this this will come up a little bit. I think particularly John Lennon had like kind of a little bit of like an early punk rock, like fuck you in him. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So like there was a lot of like kind of fucking with the fans going on with them. And I'll, I'll talk about that a little bit more in a little bit. Okay. Um, but so, you know, around like 65, 66, they started experimenting with new recording techniques. One of them was the practice of backmasking, which I okay. talked about a little bit, I think, on our Black Metal Murders story okay. with the Satanic Panic. So backmasking is the process where a piece of music or a lyric or a message or something is played backwards. Right, 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 right. On a right. record. So right. the Beatles were kind of among the first to really start playing with this. Now, this started to really like add to the mystique of the Beatles because people were here. They're like, what the fuck was that sound? And people are trying to figure out. So all of a sudden we're getting this like there's hidden messages in the songs right um this of course this whole process of backmasking became a huge controversy in the 80s uh, with the metal bands and the satanic panic. Right. Um, I did talk about that <laughs> in the black metal murders episode. Uh, I think choose Dolly. Right. Mm-hmm. So if you want to know more about that, go listen to that episode. The Beatles. <laughs> you want to know more about that? Go yeah. fuck off. And I'm not, I'm not here episode. to fucking explain the satanic panic to you. Look, tonight. we're not starting from scratch at every single episode, guys. We can't, right. we don't have the time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but one thing that's interesting is you know if you think about the time period that mm-hmm. the Beatles are playing with this backmasking, this is like Vietnam. This is the civil rights movement. This is anti-establishmentism. You know, it's like this was a fraught time, mm-hmm. and there was a lot of cultural paranoia. Right. And I think it just kind of set the table for this kind of like people were looking for conspiracy theories. And I think it's just an interesting analog to like today because mm-hmm. we're going through like a similar, probably even more dangerous time in some ways right and so it's weird you know like people had conspiracy theories about what the government was doing and 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 frankly some of these conspiracy theories turned out to be true like mk ultra which we talked about on here um but it's so weird how these things metastasize into like paul is dead with the Beatles. you know it just it just sprays out everywhere and takes weird strange forms so yeah the beatles were getting real weird they were starting to dress real weird they weren't looking like the pop stars that they used to be they're starting to like look like hippies um Mm -hmm. other rock bands were kind of doing similar things so this is like the time where you had the rolling stones entered their quote satanic phase 
um, uh, where they did the, uh, what is the album called? Our Satanic Majesty's Request, I think. Yes. Um, so, like, they're freaking out the squares. Right. Like, all these bands who were like, you know, the cute little pop icons, you know, mm-hmm. five years earlier are now, like, leading our children into fucking debauchery. and Right. Uh, A drug-fueled well. orgies and right. that kind of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Bloodletting. Exactly. And, of course, this all culminated in 1969 with the Beatles' White Album, which famously inspired Charles Manson uh in the manson murders with songs like helter skelter piggies etc but paula's dead started before this so the first stories about paul mccartney having died and then being replaced by an imposter started around early 1967 so rumors started spreading that he was killed in a car accident while driving on the m1 motorway in england but actually enough people were talking about this that it actually ended up in the Beatles like big fanzine. It was called the Beatles Book Monthly. And in their February 1967 issue, uh, they mentioned it. They said, quote, stories about the Beatles are always flying around Fleet Street. The 7th of January was very icy with dangerous conditions on the M1 motorway linking London with the Midlands. And towards the end of the day, a rumor swept London that Paul McCartney had been killed in a car crash on the M1. But of course, there was absolutely no truth in it at all. As the Beatles press officer found out when he telephoned Paul's St. John's Woods home and was answered by Paul himself that he had been at home all day with his black Mini Cooper safely locked up in the garage. Put a pin in the Mini Cooper. We're going to get back to that in a little bit. Mm, Okay. Paul himself even kind of mentioned the rumor, I think just in like a passing way during a press conference that they were doing for Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Cup. Lonely Hearts Club Band, uh-huh. uh, which came out in 1967. Like I said, their next album was, well, the same year as Lonely Hearts Club Band came out. They also put out the album Magical Mystery Tour. That's going to come up here in a moment as well. And then, of course, right. in 1969, the White Album came out. Like I said, very famous for its connection to the Manson murders, but it's also very deeply tied to the Paul is dead thing, which it was just kind of had been simmering for a couple of years. Okay. Well, with the White Album, particularly John Lennon decided to kind of fuck with people a little bit. So there's a song on the White Album. I'm going to drop it in and hopefully not get sued by the Beatles uh, right in here. The song is Glass Onion. Uh, It was written by John Lennon, and it was kind of to parody this like mystical aura that the Beatles were starting to get with their fans, where, you know, people were talking about the hidden messages and the back masking. So he wrote the song Glass Onion, which is all just like kind of throwing out these little non sequiturs and cryptic statements and oblique references to earlier songs just to kind of like throw some chum in the water. Uh So like one lyric in that song was uh, here's another clue for you all the walrus was Paul I told you about the walrus and me man you know that we're as close as can be man well here's another clue for you all the walrus was Paul that of course refers to their song I am the walrus from Magical Mystery Tour mm-hmm as the Paul is dead theory like really took off, people started being like, well, you know, walrus is actually the Greek word for corpse. So this is John Lennon telling us that Paul is a corpse. Super not the Greek word for corpse. Okay, that's what I was going <laughs> to Walrus is totally a Scandinavian word. Greek people had no idea that walruses existed. <laughs> like, 
This is bullshit. Okay, okay. <laughs> but the song I Am the Walrus on the Magical Mystery Tour album does end with a live BBC broadcast of a fatal scene in King Lear. They'd done like a live theatrical production of King Lear. And at the very end, you would know more than me, the character Oswald. Mm-hmm. He groans, oh, untimely death. Well, basically what happened was John Lennon was watching it and was like, this is cool. And recorded it and was like, this would be fun to throw in the song and threw it in the song. So, of course, everyone's like, you know, just more chum in the water. Right. But it's still like kind of under the surface. You know, the Beatles fanzines are talking about it. It's popping up in interviews here and there. But then on September 17th, 1969, the editor of the Drake University student newspaper in Des Moines, Iowa, published an article titled, Is Beatle Paul McCartney Dead? And this is the first article that really goes into the rumors and the, quote, clues from the White Album. So specifically, the article talked about the, I guess you would call it a song, Revolution Number 9. Okay. Which is, it's considered, I think the genre you would call is like music concrete. And it's like collage and sound effects. And I'm going to throw a little bit of it in here as well. Well, in that song... I'm going to talk more about that because revolution number nine is like at the heart of both some of the Manson stuff and also the Paul is dead thing. People have tried to pick apart revolution number nine, looking for all sorts of messages, clues, uh, mystical statements, you know, whatever. Well, one thing that people decided was if, if you've ever heard the song, you hear John Lennon at the beginning, the first sound you hear is John Lennon going number nine, number nine, number nine, mm-hmm. number nine. Number nine, number nine, number nine, number Apparently, if you play it backwards, what you hear is, turn me on, dead man. I've played it backwards. I've never heard it sound like that. It just sounds like, you know, but people claim that they've heard, turn me on, dead man. Yet another clue that they're trying to tell us. The Paul McCartney is dead. Okay. Uh, so this article, again, this is just a student newspaper in Des Moines, Iowa at this point. Okay. It also mentioned the back cover of the Sgt. Pepper's album. Uh-huh. Um, and, oh, I was going to, I'm going to send you. Uh-huh. Tell me what you see. Yes. Yes. Open, please. <laughs> okay. So what, what, do you want to sort of describe this? Yeah. So, uh... I mean, this looks kind of like a, I don't know if it's like the back of an album or what it is, but it's it's the back of Sgt. Pepper's. Right, 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 right. So it's a bright red square with a shit ton of teeny tiny text on it. Mm -hmm. Um, We have the band in their Sgt. Pepper's outfits. Mm -hmm. Um, And what is very clear is that George, John, and Ringo are facing forward and Paul is facing like they're facing forward. Mm -hmm. Paul is, has his back turned. Right. And also what I assume to be Paul McCartney. Yeah. Well, so this is the thing is they're technically unidentified, but it's pretty clear when Uh you're looking at this picture that that's Paul like the other, because the other guys are, and we'll put this in social media. The other guys are super recognizable. One of them standing with the back to the camera. And this is Paul McCartney. He's also noticed the different color 
of his suit, his little Sergeant Pepper suit. You know, the others are wearing kind of more warm colors. He's wearing this like deep blue, like cool color. Uh huh. I mean, but John is in like a lime green suit. So I, that does, that holds no water for me, but yes. Here's here. Spoiler alert. Most of this is not going to hold much water. (laughs) (laughs) Great. Great. But this, so this really, this article in the Drake university student newspaper was like, I mean, look at the back cover of Sergeant Pepper. It's like his back is turned and like, clearly this means Paul McCartney is dead. So this is where a music journalist, a guy named Merrill Nolan, he he really talks about this whole idea of the time period where he says a lot of us because of Vietnam and the so-called establishment were ready, willing, and able to believe just about any sort of conspiracy. Right. So like I said, just this time period was just rife for this. Right. Well, this rumor refused to die. It's now it's starting to really pick up steam. And then in September of 1969, the Beatles put out the album Abbey Road. This was sort of just before they broke up. Okay. And the album cover added fuel to that fire. And I meant to pull up a picture that I was going to send to you. And I think I forgot. So, well, you know, that's okay. I'll look, I'll look it up as you, that's them. Is that them crossing the, that's them crossing the road. Uh huh. So see if you can pull it up and describe it. Okay, well, I would have, but my fucking stupid thumbs typed Annie Toad instead of Abby. <laughs> <laughs> I hate you. Okay. <laughs> and my phone is already like, are you trying to fucking say Abby Road? Yeah. <laughs> okay, uh-huh. Yep, here we go. I'm looking at it now. Do you notice anything about Paul McCartney? <sighs> He's not wearing any shoes. Oh, my God. This means Paul McCartney is dead. Yes. Uh, and he's an imposter. The other thing people really noticed is that he's holding his cigarette in his right hand, even though it's commonly known that Paul McCartney is left-handed. So clearly this can't be Paul McCartney. <laughs> but like who among us, okay, here's the thing. Who among us as smokers, and I mean, I know there are plenty of us, but I as mm-hmm. a smoker was ambidextrous. Mm-hmm. I could yeah, smoke just, and a big part of that is, is because when I was, smoking in my car. Sorry, mom. When I was smoking in my car, <laughs> I would hold it in my left hand so I could hold it right. kind of out the window. Right. You know, the it's, thing not, is, it's not hold a it, clue, guys. It's not hold, a weird thing. Holding a cigarette is not like writing your name or something. No. Like, you're just holding something between two fingers. Like, but <laughs> this is this uh, clearly, oh my God, Paul McCartney is dead. He's an imposter. imposter. Now I'm going to get to like how much were the Beatles maybe in on this here in a little bit. Okay. Now this whole situation was exacerbated by the Mm -hmm. fact that McCartney kind of went underground because the band was breaking up. He had become estranged from the band because they had hired, I forgot to write the guy's name down, but they hired a new manager that Paul McCartney didn't like. Uh, There's all this stuff people talk about with Yoko Ono, which a lot of that's been debunked, but mm -hmm. you know, that was in the air and he was just kind of, he was kind of fucking done being like Mr. Rockstar. And he was also really pissed off at John Lennon because John Lennon was the one who was like, yeah, I'm leaving the band after this album comes out. And Paul McCartney was like, go fuck yourself. And he took his kids and his wife, Linda, and they went up to a farm near Campbelltown, Scotland, and just kind of like hid away from the world for a while. Mm -hmm. So people weren't seeing Paul McCartney. So like, where's Paul? Where's Paul? In October of that year, this is 1969, the Beatles press officer, a guy named Derek Taylor, he also talked about the rumor. I think he was asked in an interview about it. And he said, recently, we've been getting a flood of inquiries asking about reports that Paul is dead. We've been getting questions like that for years, of course. But in the past few weeks, we've been getting them at the office and home night and day. I'm even getting telephone calls from disc jockeys and others in the United States. 
and I'm going to get to that right now. The okay. So this is when the story went like 1969 version of viral. Right. A disc jockey in Detroit, a guy named Russ Gibb, he started getting weird late night phone calls from an anonymous listener, quote unquote, who was basically like, you need to like look deep. You need to do a deep dive into the white album because the, like there's stuff in the white album and like they're covering stuff up and you know, Paul's obviously dead. And so this Russ Gibb was like, oh, okay. And he was like, well, I'm going to look into it. So he started listening to the songs and he started hearing about the back, back masking. So he said he ran out and bought like a brand new turntable that he could like ruin by playing it backwards. Cause he wanted to hear the back masking and lo and behold, he was convinced and he ended up spending an entire hour on his show talking about all of the evidence clues etc basically telling us that paul mccartney was in fact deceased so for instance here's just some of the evidence okay ready on the, on the white album song i'm so tired there's mm-hmm. some indecipherable mumbling at the end and i I'm, i can't remember if this part was back masked or not but Russ Gibb like listened to it and he decided that what he what it was was John Lennon saying Paul is dead man miss him miss him miss him <laughs> all right sorry <laughs> yep yep um I mean you know that's I guess pretty definitive sure yeah <laughs> Paul yeah. is dead. This is, I think, where the whole turn me on dead man with Revolution 9 started. I think it was Gibb was the one who listened to it backwards and heard the number nine, number nine, and decided that was turn me on dead man. He kept digging and he decided that this was what he called the great cover up. Um, so there's other lyrics from other albums that he picked as evidence that they're trying to tell us in their own oblique way that Paul McCartney was dead. So for instance, from the song, a day in the life from Sergeant peppers, Uh there's the line. He blew his mind out in a car. Yep. He blew his mind out in a car. He didn't notice that the lights had changed. In the song, don't pass me by from the white album, which is by the way, one of my all time favorite Beatles songs, Ringo Starr sings the line. You were in a car crash and lost your hair. Sorry that I doubted you. I was so unfair. You were in a car crash and you lost your hair. You said that you And then apparently, if you listen to Revolution number nine, it basically just is a music concrete narration of the car crash that killed Paul McCartney. Okay. Uh, because it's like I said, it's collage. I think a lot of people have probably heard revolution number nine, or at least heard parts of it, but it's just, it's a lot of sound collage. Well, you hear the sounds of crashes. You hear the sounds of tire squealing. You hear the sounds of screens and fire and like the chatter of bystanders. So this is clearly the Beatles being like, this is what happened to Paul. Right. Right. Other clues on the Sergeant Pepper's cover. There's a doll and it's holding a toy car. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and the doll is actually wearing a t-shirt that reads, welcome the Rolling Stones. Yes. Um, uh-huh. Yeah. I'm going to, let's put a pin in that because I'm going to get back to that in a minute. Okay. What that might mean. And then there's a picture in the Magical Mystery Tour booklet of two cars isolated on like a darkened road. And so everyone's like, I mean, or Gib, by everyone, I mean, this Gib guy uh-huh. is like, clearly this I'll, is a cover. Right. Up. Look at all the evidence. Yeah. 
irrefutable. Right. right? Evidence abounds. We have a, we have a cornucopia of evidence. Yeah. Well, not wanting to be left out, the New York City DJs heard about this broadcast and then they started repeating the clues. Right. And this is when it went viral. It became international. Suddenly Beatles albums, old and new, were Uh like flying off the shelves because fans were wanting to buy extra copies that they could destroy while playing them backwards on the record players because <laughs> they needed to hear the fucking hidden messages. Right. Um, two albums in particular, Sgt. Pepper and the Magical Mystery Tour, which were released two years earlier in 1967. They both re-entered the Billboard Top 200 in November of 1969, which is a month after Gibbs's uh, okay. broadcast in Detroit. So they both re-entered the Billboard Top 200 and stayed there until the following spring. Wow. Um, and then, of course, the White Album was like just coming out at this time. And so it exploded as well. Uh-huh. And I think the same thing happened to Abbey Road. Now, part of what was kind of fueling this is like the Beatles weren't saying a lot about it themselves. <laughs> like yep. They were kind of ignoring it. Yep. So this just kind of left a big void, which the fans were more than happy to fill with wild speculation. Right. Um, Here's what Paul McCartney later said in an interview in Rolling Stone. He said, quote, they said, look, what are you going to do about it? It's a big thing breaking in America. You're dead. And so I said, leave it. Just let them say it. It'll probably be the best publicity we've ever had. And I won't have to do a thing except stay alive. So I managed to stay alive through it. I'm going to get back to that statement here in a moment. Okay. Okay. Um, (laughs) So by 1970, the the rumors had kind of coalesced into like a more or less coherent story. So this is supposed to be the story of what happened to Paul McCartney. Okay. Allegedly. Allegedly. On November 8th, 1966, the band were recording in Abbey Road Studio. I think the story is that they were supposed to be have been recording Magical Mystery Tour. Okay. They're at Abbey Road. It was on a, quote, stupid bloody Tuesday. Okay. They had a big fight and Paul stormed out. He got into his Aston Martin and he took off. So fucking pissed that he's like speeding down the street, down the M1 motorway. And he doesn't see a traffic light change until he's like right on it. He slams on the brakes. The car goes into a spin and it smashes into a light pole. And of course, Paul McCartney was decapitated because of course he was. <laughs> right, 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 right. You, you can't have this story without the guy being decapitated. Right. So. Also, very lucky that he is in a single car crash and there are no other people. There's no Mm -hmm. other, you know, participants. Right. So he was, quote, officially pronounced dead early the next morning on November 9th. And of course, the Beatles, the rest of the band were like, oh, my God, we can't like this is the end of the band. Right. So we need to we need to do something. We can't let anyone know that he's dead. So they use their magical rock star powers to <laughs> to spirit his body away to the morgue where it okay. was hidden. Okay. The evidence for this uh-huh. is that on the Sgt. Pepper's album cover, Paul McCartney is wearing a patch that says OPD, which of course can only mean officially pronounced dead. <laughs> so there, there you go. Um, People are so awesome. Like I can't like the it's creative. Yeah. The energy that people put into stuff like this. And I'm just like, I mean, if you could harness this and and do literally anything else with it, you know, the possibilities are endless. Um amazing. Yeah. What a trip. Yeah. So so that's the story. (laughs) And then and then of course they hired a man, a guy named William Campbell. 
because he had once won a Paul McCartney lookalike contest and he became the new Paul McCartney. Okay. And apparently William Campbell is the man who actually wrote the songs Blackbird and Hey Jude. So, yep. you know, good, good job, William Campbell. Yep. Wherever you may be. Right. <laughs> well, All he's right. in Paul McCartney. He's in Paul McCartney's house is where he yeah. is, obviously. Exactly. Yes. Uh, <laughs> um, but the thing was, you know, they did this ruse because they wanted to keep the band going. Because mm-hmm. you know they needed they needed all that rock star money, mm-hmm. but they felt real guilty. Like the rest of the band felt real guilty about it. So what they decided to do is that they were going to plant subtle clues on the albums and on the album covers because they were trying to gently let their fans know that Paul right. was dead. Right, 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 right. This makes no fucking sense. <laughs> it doesn't, guys. Fucking the Big Bopper, Richie Valens, Buddy Holly. Yeah. Patsy Klein, a lot of other musicians have died and people have been like, hey, they died. There yeah. is no such thing as a band I mean, is not going to be like, let's like leak it out little by little mm-hmm. to like, it, like we're not eggs. We don't have to be tempered in terms of information. Right. Like a celebrity is dead or they are not. There is no <laughs> reason. <laughs> I know. I mean, like fucking Elvis Presley fucking died on the goddamn toilet and everyone knew about it. Like no one tried to hide that shit, you know? Um, But no, I mean, obviously the Beatles are magic. So that's right. 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 Um, So here's the question. Was this something that just was ginned up by the fans or were the Beatles kind of playing into this? Okay. A little bit. So at the time that Sergeant Peppers came out, 1967 the Beatles were in like kind of a lull period. You know, they had been the biggest band in the world a few years ago, but time was kind of moving on from them. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of the British press were like, these guys are washed up. They're has-beens. They're out of ideas. How old are they at this point? Oh, I mean, I think they're still in their 20s. Because okay, they were wow. young when they started. I mean, they might have been in their early 30s by this point, okay. but like couldn't have been more than that. Right. But of course, they're like washed up and they're, they're has-beens. Right. right. So this put enormous pressure on Sergeant Peppers. Like it didn't just have to like do well. It had to be like a game changer. Yeah. It had to basically be like, this is the new Beatles. Like the Beatles you thought you knew is done. This is something new. And the thing mm-hmm. is, if you've listened to Sgt. Peppers, it fucking was. Like that yeah. album was a fucking game changer. Yeah, it's really, really, really interesting mm-hmm. to listen to the Beatles early stuff and then listen to their late stuff because it they were going through it yeah it's i mean you start to hear the transition a little bit on rubber soul but Uh then once they get to magical mystery tour and sergeant peppers it's just like i mean they yeah they're going through it but also it's like just this creative revolution within the band Right. And that's, and and I mean, I mean that, I don't mean that they were like going through a hard time or anything. It's just that they were, it is very clear that they were evolving mm -hmm. into something else. And that thing was either going to work or or it wasn't. And Sgt. Pepper's is, I mean, it's a brilliant album. Yeah. Like my, my favorite Beatles album is actually the white album. Uh-huh. Um, but Sergeant Peppers is fucking great. Magical Mister Tour is really good too. Mm-hmm. Um, but the pressure was like this album had to be a game changer, so they had to do something that was going to generate interest. Right. But again, this is the theory. No one really knows for sure. Right, right, right. Now they had already played around with backmasking, and again, because of John Lennon being kind of fuck you punk rock before fuck you punk rock was a thing, mm-hmm. some of the backmasking was kind of a prank. So like on the song "Girl" during the chorus. You can hear the words tit, tit, tit. 
Okay. Um, mm-hmm. I apologize for this because this is a slur, but I'm going to I'm going okay. to say it just so you know. On the song "Yellow Submarine," you can hear "Hidden in the Mix." Uh, I don't remember who said it, but someone says Paul's a queer. Okay. So, like, they're already kind of like trying to fuck with her fans a little bit right right? a lot of people think that they had kind of if they didn't plan the rumor once it started they were like let's play into this because the idea was like hey if sergeant peppers doesn't do as well as we think it's gonna do We need something that's going to build this new mystique around the band. And we can just like keep doing the slow roll of clues, quote unquote. Mm-hmm. If that's the case, I got to say it's pretty brilliant. I'm I'm skeptical how orchestrated it was, but I do think it's possible that like the thing kind of took on a life of its own and they were like, let's kind of write this out. This is kind of fun. You yeah. Know? Yeah. And like clearly on the song Glass Onion, John Lennon is doing that. Like, right. I mean, it's pretty blatant that he's kind of making fun of the fans, but I mean, he's like I said, he's throwing chum in the water. Right. At that point. Now, it is possible, though, that, okay, like I said, spoiler alert, Paul is not dead. This is all. <laughs> like, <laughs> in case anyone is like, has any doubt where I stand on this. Right. It does seem fairly possible if you believe one person's story that this was, in fact, inspired by a real life incident, though. Okay. There was a guy named Robert Hugh Frazier. He was a gallery owner and I guess what you would call like an influencer okay. uh, in like London's like swinging 60s. He was like, okay. he was like the man about town kind of thing. He was very wealthy. He owned this gallery where he had like pop artists and stuff. And he, of course, became friends with all these rock stars, including the Rolling Stones, like Mick Jagger and Keith Richards. And he became very good friends with uh, John Lennon and Paul McCartney. At the same time, this Robert Hugh Frazier also became friends with a young Moroccan student. Uh, it was a guy named Mohammed. I'm not going to get this pronunciation right, so I'm going to try it. Mohammed Shtaibi, I think. Okay. He became friends with Fraser in the early 60s, and he ended up becoming Fraser's personal assistant. Okay. Um, and like, you know, he was a gopher. He was supposed to go get the laundry, you know, all this stuff. But his main job is to, quote, babysit the gallery while Fraser ran off with his famous friends. Okay. And sometimes Fraser would invite him along. Usually... To like cook and drive, you know, during parties, but also like his job was to carry the drugs. Okay. Mm-hmm. And so this is what he was doing on the first Saturday of January in the winter of 1967. Fraser and Shatabi were going to Paul McCartney's house to have themselves a little party. And it, it sounds like at first it was just the three of them. They get to Paul McCartney's house. There's like a gaggle of teenage girls out front. They go up, they ring the little buzzer. It's like a gated place. The gate opens, lets them in. Paul McCartney lets them in. They go hang out in his lounge. And again, I should, by the way, say that from what I can tell, this is one guy telling the story. I don't think any of this is confirmed because there's stuff in here that doesn't reflect well on Paul McCartney, if it's true. Mm -hmm. So again, allegedly, allegedly, allegedly. Um, they're hanging out. Paul goes and is like, hold on. He goes and gets a book off the shelf, like a big book, puts it on the table, opens the book. Well, of course, the book's hollowed out. And in the middle, there's a box. Open the box. It was filled with hashish, cocaine, heroin, and acid. And they're like, fucking right. Right. Let's Let's have a party. party. Yeah. And he actually tells Shataibi to start rolling what he called Benson and hashish B-52 bombers. So these are basically taking a Benson and Hedges cigarette and filling them with hash. Okay. And so they're sitting there smoking hash, getting good and fucking stoned. Right. And then the intercom rings. And who could it be? It's Mick Jagger, Keith Richards, and Brian Jones. And I I said, I wrote here, uh, Mick Jagger, Keith Richards, and Brian Jones from the Stoners, which is... uh, (laughs) 
appropriate, but no, from the Rolling Stones. <laughs> um, That's awesome. Yeah. So they're they're actually also with a dude named Christopher Gibbs, who is the nephew of the governor of Rhodesia, which is like nuts. wow. They're like, all right, let's let's fucking do this. Put the hash aside. Bust out the fucking heroin. Bust out the cocaine. It's a fucking party. Right. And they just tear it up. And then they're like, you know what? Let's keep this going all fucking weekend. But we can't do it here because we've got this gaggle of teenage fans outside. Let's go to Keith Richards' house out in the countryside. Okay. Um, because there's no one around there and we can just like have a debaucherous weekend. Okay. But they had to go to Mick Jagger's house first for some reason. Okay. So they all leave and they all try to pile into Mick Jagger's Mini Cooper. And again, this is like eight dudes, I think, at this point. And they're trying to get into Mick Jagger's Mini Cooper. And literally, like, it sounds like this Muhammad Shatibi was like at the bottom of the fucking human pile. Right. Getting crushed. And I was like, guys, why don't we take two cards? <laughs> so paul mccartney is like good idea also because i don't want to have the drugs on me if the cops pull me over so mm-hmm. muhammad you carry the drugs and why don't you follow in my mini cooper okay which Back is that cu- mini cooper custom built it was made to look like a tiny rolls royce it had a wet bar in the back it had armchairs it had oversized racing tires and like an enormous racing steering wheel everybody knew that this was paul mccartney's car because okay. there's no other car like it Okay. So Paul's still in the car with Mick Jagger and the human pile. Right. Um, and Chitabi is on his own following them in Paul's Mini Cooper. And they go down to the bottom of the driveway. The gate opens. All the teenage fans are still there. The cars pull out. Everyone sees there's Paul's car. Wave to Paul. Okay. You know, everyone thinks Paul is in this custom built Mini Cooper. Okay. They start driving. They get on the M1 and they're going like up, I think, to Sussex. Um, And I don't know where the fuck that is in relation to London, but it's out in the country, apparently. Okay. And it's like windy, narrow roads and it's night and they're going like 70, 80 miles an hour. And Mohammed Shatibi, who had driven Paul's car before, but never like at this speed and at this distance. And he's having to deal with this big, like racing steering wheel. He's just like, he's barely fucking hanging on. They're, They're just blasting through these turns. Finally, Shatibi realizes, oh shit, I'm out of cigarettes. So what does he do? <laughs> he pulls up alongside Mick Jagger's mini, uh-huh. rolls down the window, and is like, hey, throw me some cigarettes. So they throw him some cigarettes. He catches them, slows down to light a cigarette. Meanwhile, another car passes him. What Chitaibi didn't realize, because he had never put a seatbelt on, is that the seatbelt's actually hanging out of the door. Okay. And it's dragging along the road. Okay. So when the car passes him, it runs over the seatbelt and it yanks the car to the left. Okay. Chitaibi's like, fuck. And he like tries to overcorrect. The car jumps to the right. He loses control, slams into a fucking light post, like on okay. a big concrete pylon. Okay. Um, the car's totaled to the point where it actually broke the engine in two, which is not easy to do. Yeah. <laughs> Chitaibi was knocked unconscious. And when he woke up, he was like outside of the car, hugging onto the light post. Wow. He's like covered in blood and has like broken glass all through his face meanwhile the other guys didn't even see this because they were like he was trying to keep up with them they're going like 80 around these like tight turns right so they're just gone and he's like just totaled paul mccartney's fucking custom-built car he's got glass in his face yeah and he wakes up and he's like oh fuck i've got all these drugs in the fucking car so he gets up he manages to get into the i don't know how the guy wasn't dead 
by the way. Right. But he gets into the car. He gets the book that has all the drugs in it. And he stumbles off into the trees and like throws it, all, all the drugs into a ravine. Well, meanwhile, all these spectators and cops have shown up and they've seen the car. Everyone recognizes that it's Paul McCartney's car. Mm-hmm. So the theory is this is where maybe the rumor started okay. that Paul McCartney was killed in a car accident. Well, this amazingly, Muhammad Shatibi was not actually all that seriously injured, um, but he did have to go to the hospital where they pulled out hundreds of slivers of glass from his face and body. And then uh. the, the next day, this this Frazier, you know, the gallery owner, calls him and is like, what the fuck happened to you? Like, everyone's so pissed off at you because clearly you took off with our drugs and had your own little party. And he's like, um, motherfucker, I'm like in the fucking hospital because I, I had one. I had enough drugs car. for the country of Rhodesia, first yeah. of all. <laughs> Second <laughs> right. of all. And, I, and you think I went off and did them all by myself. And two, yeah. had I done that, that I would be able to answer the phone when you call me right. the next day. Yeah, it's fucking but ridiculous. Yes, yeah. <laughs> dicks like not thinking that maybe some it's hilarious to me in this story that people were not like you think he's okay because like we're all fucked up and like maybe that it's like this motherfucker ran off with our drugs it actually gets worse oh my god (laughs) so and again all of this is allegedly allegedly right 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 right. so shatibi tells him what happened and he's like do you think paul's insurance can cover because i have all these hospital bills now and Fraser's like, oh, okay, okay, I'll let me let me talk to Paul on Monday. So this was like all on the weekend. So like right. a day or two later, Paul McCartney comes to Muhammad Shatibi's house. He's not concerned about Shatibi's injuries. He's not at all thankful that Shatibi managed to ditch the drugs, which everyone would have found out were his. Mm-hmm. He's just mad that Shatibi ruined his car and is basically like, no, my insurance won't cover it because it's only insured to me and my chauffeur. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> if this is true, Paul McCartney's a fucking dick. <laughs> I'm not, sh- I'm going to say, I'm not sure how much I like, I think the car accident happened. I think that was like public record. Uh-huh. All this like other stuff. Who, who knows? It's right. one guy telling the story. Right. So that's maybe the real life basis of Paul is dead. Okay. Um. Well, the rumor kind of started to die down. Uh, shortly after this paul mccartney is uh this is like 1969 1970-ish paul mccartney still up with his family at this farm in scotland and a life reporter and photographer just like popped up they were like hey paul click can we do an interview and paul was like go fuck yourself curse them out and then threw what like a bucket of water on them okay and then he like they left and he was like oh that's probably a bad look so he calls them up and he's like, hey, guys, sorry, you just caught me at a bad time. I will. You can take a picture of me, like this nice picture with me, with my family. I'll give you an interview. I just like give me the roll of film because as he's throwing the water on the guy, the, the photographer's like, click, 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 yeah. click. Yeah. <laughs> so they do. They give this interview. And this is kind of one of the first times I think Paul actually addressed the rumor. Okay. Where he said, perhaps the rumor started because I haven't been much in the press lately. I've done enough press for a lifetime, and I don't have anything to say these days. I'm happy to be with my family, and I will work when I work. I was switched on for 10 years, and I never switched off. Now I am switching off whenever I can. I would rather be a little less famous these days. Right. Kind of the last gasp of this whole Paul is dead thing was, I think, towards the end of 1969, the TV station WOR in New York City aired a TV special about 
the whole Paula's dead rumor. And they set it up as like a mock trial. They had witnesses, they had evidence. And the whole thing was presided over by celebrity lawyer, F Lee Bailey. (laughs) Okay. And at the end of this TV special, Bailey's like, I'm leaving it to the viewer to determine your own conclusion. The end. And I think at this point, people are like, this is fucking dumb. And they were kind of done with it. <laughs> but it, I mean, I remember in the 80s hearing all about Paul is dead. Like, yeah, this me is too. definitely something that is continuing. I remember in the 90s pouring over my brother got Sergeant Pepper, got the CD mm-hmm. for Christmas. And I remember like pouring through you know, the liner notes and everything of like, what is all of this? Yeah. And like, and it is crazy. Like when you listen to the white album, like the white album is such a weird record. Right. Because it's like, got these like nice, sweet songs, like, um, like Obladi Oblada. Mm-hmm. And then, but then it's got like weird, dark. I mean, it's got the song piggies. Uh-huh. Obviously got the song Helter Skelter, which a lot of people don't realize is actually based on like a Danish board game. Okay. Or like a Danish children's game. Has Revolution number nine, which is just fucking weird as shit. So right. it's this weird, like all over the place album where you're just like, who were these guys? Like what right. was going on in their head? And what it was is because each of them was writing their own songs. Yep. So Paul McCartney was writing the nice songs. John Lennon and George Harrison were writing the fucking weird songs. Mm-hmm. And then Ringo Starr is like, I got a couple. And he did like uh, the don't pass me by. And stuff right. Like that. But yeah, I can, I can see where like at the time you're listening to that and you're like, what the fuck even is this? Right. So of the course you're going to start. Ending. Yeah. You're going to start imprinting all sorts of stuff on it. Yeah. 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 So there you go. Paul That's... is not dead. Okay. All right. <laughs> Before we move on, who's your favorite Beatle? Oh, um, like I want to say John Lennon because I like a lot of his music the best. He sure seemed like a real bastard, though. Yeah, he was a real son of a bitch. So, I mean, if there's a Beatle I would want to hang out with, it's for sure Ringo Starr. Like, he just seems like a good time. Yeah, you know? yeah. Like George Harrison always seemed like a little like kind of up his own ass, like impressed with himself. Sorry, I don't mean to speak ill of the dead. Mm-hmm. I mean, great, great musician, great songwriter. Yeah. Um, I do like Paul McCartney's music, but like it gets a little, it can get a little cutesy for me. Uh-huh. I love some <laughs> of the John Lennon weird stuff, but uh-huh. I, like he just seems like a real piece of shit. Yeah. Again, sorry to speak ill of the dead. <laughs> sorry. Um, Sorry. Sorry, not um, sorry. So long story short, I guess I would say Ringo is my favorite beat. Who's yours? Uh, I think for me, like musically, you know, because I don't quite know enough about their like personalities and stuff, but musically mm-hmm. for me, it's a toss up between Paul and George. Mm-hmm. I mean, while my guitar gently weeps is, which was George Harrison. Yeah. Like, that's such a great fucking song. Yeah. So. And he went on to go do the traveling Wilburys, right? And oh that's yeah. That's like, right. Fuck, like, there's that was so Tom many. Petty and Bob Dylan, right? And uh, Roy Orbison. That's right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I feel like somebody else. I feel like there's somebody else in there. The, my, like I want to say Johnny Cash, but it wasn't because that was the other fucking super group. Hey Siri. Who all was in the Traveling Wilburys? Traveling Wilburys former members were George Harrison, Bob Dylan, Tom Petty, Roy Orbison, and Jeff Lynn. Jeff Lynn. Thank oh, you. Whoever that. Sorry, Jeff Lynn. I'm not, <laughs> not aware of your work. <laughs> Sorry. Oh my God. Yeah. Awesome. Okay. Awesome. Awesome. That was great. Cool. Uh, that was a good time. Okay. So whoosh, diving right into mine, uh, I'm going to start with a little bit of a cold open. Okay. 
Uh, on January 8th, 1935, a baby boy was born in a shotgun house built just for his birth in Tupelo, Mississippi. 42 mm. years later, on August 16th, 1977, after years of abusing drugs and his body, he died. Yeah. Uh, his death rocked the world. Over 80,000 people lined up to see him laid to rest. Or did they? Today, mm. we're going to talk about the Elvis is Alive conspiracy. Ooh, nice. <laughs> perfect. Fucking perfect. <laughs> awesome sources for this are wikipedia time magazine pbs mental floss rolling stone the new york times and a whole shit ton of shady ass elvis websites <laughs> Uh, awesome. Okay. So much like you, I am not going to fucking go through the life and times of Elvis Presley. Um, right. I am going to talk about a couple of things because they sort of lead up to sure. the uh, circumstances of his death. So like, here's the Cliffs notes. Okay. Uh, Elvis Aaron Presley was in fact born on January 8th in 1935 in Tupelo, Mississippi in a little shotgun house that his father did just build just for the, just for his birth. That's sweet. Yeah, he was actually a twin, and his brother, oh. mm -hmm, his yeah, brother I think I knew that. Yeah. Jesse Garen Presley, was born 35 minutes before Elvis, and he was stillborn. Hmm. Uh, Elvis grew up very close to his parents, Vernon and Gladys Love. They were active in an Assembly of God church, and that's kind of like where it said that Elvis found his initial music inspiration. Right. Right. When Elvis is 13, his family relocates from Tupelo to Memphis, and Elvis recorded his first acetate disc at Sun Records in August of 1953. So he's like 18-ish. Okay. Uh, wow, 1953, uh, his, way back. Mm -hmm. Elvis like really kind of like did sort of a meteoric. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. His producer at Sun Records, a guy named Sam Phillips, really wanted to bring Black music to a wider audience. Um, mm -hmm. I am going to paraphrase the quote. because I can imagine. Mm -hmm. But he basically was like, if I could find a white dude with a Black sound and a Black feel, I could make a billion dollars. Right. <laughs> On July 5th of 1954, Elvis was at Sun Records and Phillips brought in guitarist Winfield Scotty Moore and upright bass player Bill Black to back Elvis up they were trying to like cut a record mm -hmm. they were trying to like write some songs and do some stuff to do a record and and the evening just like wasn't going well yeah uh, they just like weren't able to figure out so late that evening elvis like picks up his guitar and he starts playing a little 1946 blues ditty called that's all right oh okay uh-huh more said of that night quote all of a sudden elvis just started singing the song jumping around and acting the fool and then bill picked up <laughs> his bass and he started acting the fool too and i started playing with them sam i think had the door to the control booth open he stuck his head out and said what are you doing and we said we don't know well back <laughs> up he said try to find a place to start and do it again hmm. and like that was the beginning of elvis's career okay uh, that's all right. Like if you listen, it, it's, it's a good, it's a, it's a good cover. Uh, it really yeah, is. It's, it's a good cover. It's pretty great. Yeah. Well, mama, she done told me, papa done told me too. Son, that guy you fooling wish he ain't no good to you. But that's all right. That's all right. That's all right, mama. Anyway, do. Three days later, 
popular Memphis DJ Dewey Phillips played That's All Right on his Red Hot and Blue radio show. <laughs> and listeners started calling in and they were like, who the fuck is that? Yeah. Like, you got to tell me. Yeah. are blown. Yeah. Yeah. So just like freaking out. BT dubs Phillips brought Elvis on to be interviewed on the radio and had him state what high school he went to, to clarify that Elvis was white and not black. Wow. Oh yeah. But the thing is, is that it wasn't like where people want to know if you're black or white. He was like, can you tell us what high school you go to? And it was like the dog whistle, right? Of like, right. right. okay, Okay. This is a white dude. This is a white dude. Yeah. Of course. Yeah. From there, Elvis keeps playing with more and black and he goes on to pioneer his whole like rubber legs style <laughs> right. dance moves at the shows that they were playing. The swivel hips. Right. And apparently that's because Elvis actually kind of had stage fright mm. and he like didn't know what to do. So he would just just like, I'm going to wiggle it out. And people were like, that looks cool. Yeah. (laughs) Whatever works, man. Yeah. In 1955, Elvis meets Colonel Tom Parker, who would go on to manage Elvis like for decades. Yeah. Elvis through Parker signs with RCA records and that's all right. Really like, you know, was, was the liftoff him signing with RCA is like, there's no turning back. He's he becomes a phenomenon. Right. Um, he goes on to appear on CBS's stage show. He releases his cover of blue suede shoes. He goes on the Milton Berle show. He signs a seven year contract with Paramount mm-hmm. uh, to make movies. He does his cover of hound dog. I'm sorry, blue suede. I may have misspoke. I don't honestly fucking know if blue suede <laughs> is a cover or not. Maybe it's his own thing. Who fucking knows? Well, it's one for the money. For the show, three to get ready now. Go get over, don't you? Step on my blue suede shoes. Well, you can do anything, but they all for my blue suede shoes. But he uh, goes on to do his cover of Hound Dog, which had been right. a 1953 Big Mama Thornton blues hit. Guys, there is so much information about Elvis out here, and I am only sticking. I'm really only trying to stick to the conspiracy theories about his death or not death. So I'm not going to get into all of the shit that there is about the sound that he appropriated and the music Mm -hmm. that, you know, I'm I'm not going to get into that. I do want to just say though, that that original version of Hound Dog is pretty fucking great. Like that, that's a great blues song. Yeah. You ain't nothing but a hound dog. It's around this time as Elvis is like starting to really kind of get known all over the country. You were talking about this a little bit Mm -hmm. that a Catholic church writes a letter to head of the FBI, J. Edgar (laughs) Hoover. And (laughs) this letter says, quote, Presley is a definite danger to the security of the United States. Mm -hmm. His actions and motions were such as to rouse the sexual passions of teenaged youth. After the show, more than a thousand teenagers tried to gang into Presley's room at the auditorium. Indications of the harm Presley did in just lacrosse were two high school girls whose abdomen and thigh Presley had autographed. Okay. I mean, yeah, for that time period, fucking right. And they were talking about, you know, that he'd go up there and he'd do this rubber legs thing. And -hmm. people were like, you could see his dick. Like you could see the outline of his dick. And like, (laughs) it was too much. Right. Like, (laughs) (laughs) I mean, 
every like people like it's it's not surprising to me that Elvis was the precursor to Beatles mania mm-hmm. because I think really what was going on there at the time and I'm gonna t- I'm like I just my God the repression of like mm-hmm. adolescent girls sexuality oh and, yeah and that in and of itself is a thing that I'm not trying to be like oh we should fucking absolutely sexualize young like uh, you know <laughs> yeah. underage girls like I'm not saying yeah, that don't but, add us that's not what we're saying yeah don't ask please <laughs> but I think that the thing I think what's interesting is that if women were allowed to be like I have sexual feelings if young women were allowed to be like I have sexual feelings and we lived in a society that was like yeah man totes normal and mm-hmm. like at some point you're gonna have sex and hopefully it'll feel really good and it'll be yeah. awesome and like maybe they wouldn't be like i'm freaking the fuck out because i think right. i can see elvis presley's dick through his pants when he's yeah. like swinging his hips around right and, you know like <laughs> well this is like also kind of the start of the whole concept of the teenager because like kind of before this it was like you were a child and then you got married like yes it wasn't really there wasn't an, an adolescence so no. there's yeah. like everyone's learning the fucking new rules i guess right 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 which apparently is like <laughs> includes ogling elvis presley's dick <laughs> and there was a thing about it where it was like it just looked like a coke bottle in there like i mean it was just you could see it swinging around um, <laughs> and i i mean i can't imagine because like elvis at that time I mean, he was a dreamboat. Oh, you know yeah. what I mean? And like Elvis had something that I think that maybe the Beatles, like the, so this is an interesting thing. This is a thing that I've thought about a lot in terms mm-hmm. of like young girls, their crushes and their heartthrobs and stuff. And mm-hmm. it's very interesting to see how often it goes to something that feels very like safe, but right. every now and then you'll get something like, again, his like you can see his dick swinging around in his yeah. pants. There is an unbridled sexuality oh, to for Elvis, sure. especially at this time that like, I mean, fuck yeah, well, maybe this I would have wanted to tear my clothes off too. Yeah. I mean, this is the whole James Dean juvenile delinquent, bad boys, greasers. Yeah. And like, like, like this you is said, a boy it's this... that is going to get you in trouble. Right. And the weird thing about the Beatles is like their whole thing was like started off very sweet and like almost sexless. You know, I want to yep. hold your hand and then just went weird and dark like <laughs> overnight, but not in a sexy way, just in a like, what the fuck's happening way. <laughs> yep. Whereas like, but Elvis was like, I mean, that was, he was just pure sex. Yeah. It was just, yeah, it was, it was sex forward, Mm -hmm. Um, which is also funny because he's out there doing like very gospel inspired music and he's, he's, you know, he's doing all this stuff, but he's still like, I mean, he was a hunk of hunk of bird in love, you know, like good (laughs) grief. Okay. So really out, out, out of this, like what comes from this is Elvis has your sort of run of the mill rocket to fame right. kind of story. He releases a ton of music. He makes a lot of movies, does a lot of TV appearances and just generally drives everyone wild. Like mm-hmm. literally every time he did a concert, a riot broke out. Wow. Yeah. So well, kind of like Beatlemania for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Again, like I think definitely the precursor, right? Cause this is sure. happening, you know, in the fifties, he also went and served in the military he did basic training at Fort Hood in Texas and joined the Third Armored Division in Friedberg, Germany. Mm-hmm. And it is there that Elvis is introduced to amphetamines by a sergeant. Oh, good, good times. Okay. Mm-hmm. And let me tell you, Elvis 
loved amphetamines. Like he loved them. He thought that they were great for energy and strength and weight loss. And he loved them so much that he became like an evangel for them. Like he was proselytizing about the, the way of the amphetamine. Yeah. Well, I mean, I guess, yeah, because people just didn't know. I mean, it's like when you look at like early cocaine where it's like, you can give it to your babies (laughs) when they're teething, just put cocaine on their gums. Like, yeah, yeah. 100%. No, granted that was like in the 1880s. (laughs) That's true. (laughs) Yeah. But yeah, same thing. It's also in Friedberg that the 24 year old Elvis meets Priscilla Beaulieu. Mm -hmm. Um, She was 14 years old. At the time, yeah, they would get married seven and a half years later, but they met when she was 14. Not great. Yeah. So Elvis has a dip in his career uh, Mm -hmm. in the like mid to late 60s. Mostly this is because he's focusing more on making movies. The Colonel is really like pushing him in a movie direction. So his uh, his his music career kind of goes on the back burner. Sure. But in 1968, he releases the 68 comeback special. Mm. This is black leather outfit special. Mm -hmm. This is Elvis. Right. Um, It's a lavishly staged special. Like I said, Elvis is in head to toe black leather. He is playing and singing like he used to. The special is like frequently referred to essentially as a resurrection. Right. Notes version has kind of gotten away from me here, but we're gonna <laughs> we're gonna double tap uh, the fast forward again. If you're like super interested in Elvis, there are literally thousands. I mean, like that's oh, yeah. not that's not me being facetious. There are literally thousands of books that you can go and read about him. Right. So uh, please shop local and go read about those. <laughs> Basically, he keeps on working, he keeps on making music, he's doing concerts, he's doing all of this stuff, and now we're going to start to talk about where things begin to go off the rails Mm -hmm. during a las vegas residency he meets someone named cassandra peterson scotty do you know what name cassandra peterson is better known by elvira yes in (laughs) fact she was a showgirl at the time and she meets elvis and she's like this motherfucker was staunchly Mm anti-drug yeah because he was like i mean he was like nixon brought him into the i'm gonna i'm gonna i'm gonna gonna get to that in just a second don't (laughs) spoil my story (laughs) (laughs) don't mean to jump on your shit but she mentions cassandra slash elvira mentions Mm -hmm. that she smokes pot to elvis Mm -hmm. and he's like don't you ever do that again Mm -hmm. i just want to say elvis is dead and elvira is still alive looking hot AF and has a hot, like young girlfriend who's also like her physical trainer or like her, her personal trainer. So you tell me we're gotten, we're smoking. Yeah. One, one, one person was right. One person was wrong. (laughs) (laughs) So I get all of this is to say that Elvis is staunchly anti-drug, but what he is is anti-illegal drugs. Right. In December of 1971, Elvis finagles his way into a meeting with president Nixon. Okay. Okay. He wants to tell Nixon, he wants, he wants to have a meeting to talk with Nixon about how patriotic he is, how Mm -hmm. anti-drug he is. And he tells Nixon, he's like, Hey, I can reach the hippies and I can combat drug culture within. Okay. 
he asks Nixon for a Bureau of Narcotics and Dangerous Drugs badge. Right. Okay. Yeah. Kind of like you do when you're a kid on an airplane and you ask yeah. for the set of wings. <laughs> oh, Elvis. Just want to uh, pinch his cheeks. Yeah. This is 1971. He tells Nixon that the Beatles exemplified a trend of anti-Americanism. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. This is shitty for a lot of reasons. Not the least of which is that Elvis frequently did Beatles covers at his concerts. Uh, dude. Come on. <laughs> Second of all, he hung out with the Beatles. Like they were all at his house. Paul McCartney later would go on to be like, well, we were doing psychedelics and we're still alive. So (laughs) again, again, Paul is alive, people. (laughs) Um, There we go. So if you like me are like, you know, didn't didn't Elvis die from drugs? You would be Mm -hmm. right. But again, Elvis wasn't a drug addict because he was using prescription drugs. Right. And that is obviously way different. Right. BT dubs. Nixon said later of that meeting that he was like, that was weird. I'm just imagining like fucking stick up his ass Nixon being like, I don't know what to do with this. And the thing is, is that if you look at the pictures, Elvis is like, all right. And Nixon is like, Ooh. <laughs> like hello, young man. It, like you can see that he was like, what the fuck am I doing here? <laughs> so that happens. Okay. In 19 and put a little bit of a pin in that. We'll come back to it. Uh, okay. In 1971, Elvis and Priscilla's marriage is not doing well. Right. They're both having affairs. Mm-hmm. Uh, Elvis is growing increasingly suspicious and erratic to mm-hmm. the point where when four men rush the stage during a 1973 performance, Elvis is convinced that these four men were agents of Mike Stone, the man that Priscilla was, um, I think she had had an affair with him mm. and she's now seeing him. Mm. Um, he, Some paranoia. Yeah. Elvis gets so upset by this that the doctor can't calm him down despite administering large doses of medication. Doses, multiple. And Elvis is just raging. Yeah. He continues to rage for another two days. Wow, that's probably those amphetamines. BT dubs, the four dudes were just fans. Yeah, well, spoiler alert. Yeah, maybe they saw the Coke bottle swinging and they got excited too. I mean, it's not just for girls. Um, So two days later, he is still raging. And at this point, his Elvis had, there was this thing called the Memphis Mafia, which was basically like an entourage of people that he had been friends with since he was a child and they were his bodyguards and blah, 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 blah. But so at this point, his bodyguards are like, should we take out a hit on this Mike Stone guy? Mm. And like, do we need to like, Do we need to like finish this? Elvis (laughs) finally decides to leave the matter alone saying, quote, ah, hell, let's just leave it for now. Maybe it's a bit heavy. Sure, dude, you've been raging for like three days. Contemplating murder, but let's just leave it alone. Yeah, 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 yeah. Sure, sure, sure. Elvis and Priscilla's divorce finally goes through on October 9th, 1973. In that year, Elvis had twice overdosed on barbiturates. Mm-hmm. And he would also go on to be hospitalized semi-comatose from the effects of a Demerol addiction. Mm. Elvis like really, 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 truly, really and truly thought that because he was using prescription drugs, he was it like, wasn't. I, yeah, he, he was like, I'm not a junkie. You know, I'm not, yeah. I'm not, I'm, I'm not a junkie. He was also undertaking the busiest schedule of his life. Um, Just to clue you in, he did 168 concerts in 1973. 
Wow. During which he was hospitalized three times. Okay. So, I mean, he's really just, he's redlining. Yeah. He's not doing well. Yeah. His health is clearly nosediving. He would arrive at shows and he basically would like kind of fall out of the limousine on stage. He's like grabbing onto the mic stand for dear Mm -hmm. life. It's like clearly the only thing that's keeping him up. His words are slurred. Um, He's a mess and he fucking, he looks it. Uh, Is this like around when he was putting on all the weight? Yeah. I'm going to get to that in a second. Uh, I'm going to get to that right now. Actually guitarist John Wilkinson remembers quote, he was all gut. Mm -hmm. He was slurring. He was so fucking up it was obvious he was drugged it was obvious there was something terribly wrong with his body mm-hmm. it was so bad the words to the songs were barely intelligible i remember crying he could barely mm. get through the introductions yeah it's just sad heartbreaking like, yeah i mean this is five years after the comeback special well it's just it's so like i mean I, I just not to go on a fucking rant about it, but it's just like, I feel like it's only now are we starting to figure out like, oh, wait, you know what? These like drug companies are kind of like, this shit's bad, you yeah. know? Yeah. So I can imagine in the seventies, like no one had any idea. No one had any idea. In 1976, Elvis's dad, Vernon fires three of Elvis's bodyguards slash okay. entourage. Vernon says it was to cut back on costs, but there are a lot of people who think that the three bodyguards were fired because they were becoming more and more outspoken about Elvis's drug use. Mm. I believe it's those three would go on to release a book in 77. I can't remember what the title of it was, but it was basically like Elvis is on fucking drugs. I think it's mm. like Elvis what went wrong or something Ooh, like that. Yeah. And it's basically like, not like pulling punches. right. It's basically like, this is what's going on with him. Interesting to note that varying accounts say that Elvis, the book I think was actually released the week that he died. Oof. And there are accounts that it's like, Oh yeah, he didn't really care. Like he wasn't paying too much attention to it. And there are other accounts that it was like, he was deeply hurt by the book. Well, yeah. Cause these were like his old friends, right? Yeah. 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 I mean, were they like sort of trying to like desperately reach out to him or? Yeah, it doesn't sound it like it's again, varying accounts, but Mm -hmm. I think it was really like, guys, he's not well. Yeah. You know, journalist Tony Sherman wrote in early 1977 that Elvis, quote, had become a grotesque caricature of his Mm -hmm. sleek, energetic former self, grossly overweight, his mind dulled by the pharmacopoeia he daily ingested. He was barely able to pull himself through his abbreviated concerts. Yeah. Additionally, the Elvis camp is like, he's fine. He's swimming in the pool every day. He's Mm -hmm. playing racquetball every night. The thing is, is that he was the day that he died that morning. He had been playing racquetball all night and he stopped at 6 a.m. Wow. I mean, that's not, that's that's not great either. Like that's not, yeah, that's not, that's, that's somebody who is unable to like rest. Right. On August 16th, 1977, Elvis was discovered unresponsive on his bathroom floor by his girlfriend. I think she was actually his fiance at the time, a woman named Ginger Alden. She said of this, this was sort of her, her report, quote, Elvis looked as if his entire body had completely frozen in a seated position while using the toilet and then fallen forward in that fixed position directly in front of it. Uh, it was clear that from the time whatever hit him to the moment he landed on the floor, Elvis hadn't moved. Wow. So like, yeah, I mean, again, it was just like, like he's sitting on the toilet, whatever happens, boom. and he- Kills forward. Elvis was rushed to the much more discreet Baptist Memorial Hospital instead of the much closer mm. Methodist South Hospital. Yeah. And he was pronounced dead at 3.30 p.m. 
thing about that though, is that like, I have heard reports that when they found him and they lifted him up, lividity had already happened. So he, and like, he was, he was black, like he, he was, was purple when they pulled him up. He was, he was already he was dead. gone. Yeah. yeah. So let's talk a little bit about the aftermath. Okay. Um, that same afternoon, a team of doctors, doctors Muirhead, Francisco, and Floredo do a two-hour postmortem examination. At 8 p.m., Dr. Francisco, who had only witnessed the autopsy and not partaken in it and acting without the consent of all of the other doctors, goes and tells the press that Elvis had died from cardiac arrhythmia and that no drugs were involved. Mm. Okay. Okay. The other two doctors were like, that's fucking false. Like, <laughs> I was going to say, are we believing this? Yeah. Falsity, false, false. Yeah. It is believed that Dr. Francisco was covering up the real cause of death at the request of Elvis's family mm-hmm. yeah. because they were like, please don't, don't say that's, that he died I mean, from drugs. I understand. Right. I, do, I mean, I do, I do as well. Yeah. The truth is, is that the toxicology report listed more than 10 drugs in Presley's system, including, I think it's dilaudid. uh, Dilaudid, yeah. Yes. Percodan, Demerol, Codeine, and Quaaludes. Those first four, all painkillers. Yeah, they're all opiates. Mm -hmm. Uh, Okay. Elvis was on so many painkillers because his personal doctor, a guy named Dr. Nikopoulos, known as Dr. Nick, was Mm -hmm. prescribing them. Mm -hmm. Dr. Nick began treating Elvis for something called saddle pain, which is essentially just it's pain and everywhere that would touch a saddle. Mm, So, you know, groin, inner thighs. Right. Sits bones, that kind of thing. Started treating Elvis for saddle pain in 1967. And the doc just started playing fast and loose with prescription drugs. Mm-hmm. And I'm not trying to say that there was anything sinister going on, but he turned Elvis into an opiate addict. Yeah. In well, the first- like, it's possible that back then people didn't really understand, but it also, seemed, I mean, it does sound irresponsible. Yeah. This next part is where I think we go from what is the, what is the word I'm looking for? Like honest like an honest mistake to like full-blown negligence. Mm -hmm, Um, In the first eight months of 1977, the first eight months of 1977, Dr. Nick had prescribed over 10,000 doses of sedatives, amphetamines, and narcotics all in Elvis's name. I Uh, did the math. It's nearly 50 pills a day. That's insane. Yeah. Yeah. That's negligence. Dr. Nick ended up having to testify before the Tennessee Board of Health for this. And he said that he gave Elvis so much access to these drugs because he didn't want Presley seeking the drugs out on the street. Mm, he he yeah. was basically like, it's either I give him the prescription drugs or he like moves to heroin. Yeah. Well, so I did what I had to do. And there may be some truth to that. I don't know. 10,000 doses. That's that's nuts. I mean, there, there was never any discussion of like weaning him off. Or, no. And apparently Elvis also had Dr. Nick and he also had like a doctor in Los Angeles and he had a doctor in Las Vegas and uh, everybody's playing fast and loose. With so God knows how much he was really taking. Yeah. If you know your drugs, like I said, that you know that that is a shit ton of painkillers. Mm-hmm. And if you know anything about abusing painkillers... Next part's not going to come as a surprise. Uh, Mm -hmm. Doctors Muirhead and Florido eventually revealed that Elvis was suffering from severe and chronic constipation Mm -hmm. because of the painkillers. You cannot do, look, you can't, (laughs) you can't take the normal painkillers after surgery and not Mm -hmm. 
get constipated. Yeah. Let alone taking 10,000 doses of them. No. I mean, and again, we're talking that level of drugs over about about 10 years. Wow. Um, they're like, yo, he had severe and chronic constipation. He also had diabetes and glaucoma. Mm-hmm. Uh, apparently he had the arteries of an 80 year old man. I guess he would also, he was also known to like, he would eat these like 8,000 calorie sandwiches and then he'd be like, oh, I feel bad about myself. I shouldn't, like, I shouldn't say, <laughs> I don't mean, I'm not trying to mock it. It's yeah. just- yeah. Jesus Christ, an 8,000 calorie sandwich, but he would eat these, he would eat this like terrible food. And then he'd be uh-huh. like, fuck, I, I feel terrible about myself. And he would like starve himself for days. So mm. just, I mean, just so the assaulting his body. Yeah. yeah. So the, like the truth of this is, is that like, whether or not the family wanted to admit it, Elvis abused opiates for a really long time. That mm-hmm. kind of drug abuse will lead to severe and chronic constipation. He also misused antihistamines, tranquilizers, barbiturates, quaaludes, mm-hmm. sleeping pills, hormones, and because of the constipation, laxatives. Mm-hmm. The day that he died, it is probably that he was severely constipated. He was sitting on the toilet. He was shrinning very hard to have a bowel movement. Mm-hmm. And it led to extreme stress on his heart. And his mm-hmm. aorta, he had a massive heart attack and he died. And, yeah. And he died. You know, it's, he keeled over. I mean, it's, you know, people always make fun of that. I mean, even I kind of did earlier, you know, and it's like, but when you really think about it, it's so tragic. It's just fucking sad. Like, it's really sad. Mm-hmm. Um, for your information, Dr. Nick would go on to be indicted again in 1980 for overprescribing to not just Elvis Presley, but also Jerry Lee Lewis. Mm. The Tennessee Board of Medical Examiners finally and permanently suspended his medical license in 1995. Wow. Well, it took that long? It took that long. That's insane. I think it's quite difficult to suspend a medical license. Mm-hmm. I think you've really, I mean, you know, looking at the doctor death thing, there is a lot oh, yeah. of stuff. That's true. Uh, which is a great podcast. Um, there is a lot of stuff that is involved with yanking somebody's medical license. It's all like bureaucracy and bullshit like that, but that's why. I don't know if people like just didn't want to believe that Elvis had died like such an undignified death. Or Mm -hmm. that they like just couldn't grasp that the king had, you know, was ultimately human and had just died. Like, I don't know. But almost immediately rumors start to swirl that Elvis was in fact not dead. Of course. The first is on the afternoon of August 16th, the day that Elvis died, a man who, quote, who supposedly looked a lot like Elvis was seen purchasing a one-way ticket from Memphis to Buenos Aires under the name John Burroughs, which was a name that, a pseudonym that Elvis used when he was checking into hotels. Um, Let's debunk this right away. Memphis Airport didn't do international flights in 1977. (laughs) Uh, Not to mention why the fuck would Elvis Presley, arguably the most famous man in the, one of the most famous men in the world at that time, why would he just stroll into the Memphis airport and be like, one ticket, please. Like, it doesn't make any sense, guys. It doesn't make any sense. Yeah. (laughs) The funeral. Uh, Mm -hmm. On August 18th, Elvis's funeral took place. There is allegedly footage that shows the pallbearers like struggling to lift the coffin. And people are like, yeah, people are like, oh my God, it's because the coffin was outfitted with a cooling system because it wasn't actually Elvis's body in the coffin, but rather that of a wax dummy. Mm. here's what people say about this um <laughs> like, that's accounts, a lot of okay yeah accounts from that day said that elvis's body looked a little strange uh someone said that like his, his they were like his nose was a little puggy 
like nose wasn't quite right. Okay. Um, his right sideburn was sticking out oddly. It looked like his hair was a wig. Okay. The hands were too smooth. Elvis, you know, had calloused hands and they were too smooth. And that there was like condensation on the forehead. Mm, okay. Apparently also Elvis's name was quote unquote misspelled on the headstone. The stone reads Elvis Aaron with two A's Presley, but his actual middle name was Aaron with one A. Uh-huh. Some people believe that Elvis did this as a little, again, a little Easter egg to be like, I'm yeah. alive. All right. Okay. <laughs> I mean, like you uh, said, it's if you, if you people would put this energy into something useful. <laughs> yeah. I mean, amazing. It's also just one of those things that I'm always like, tell me how that spelling signals that he's okay. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, it's like, okay, tell me how a doll holding a toy car means Paul McCartney's dead. Precisely. Like, I mean, it's just the leap is pretty intense. Right. You got to want it. You know what I mean? <laughs> really. So, <laughs> I mean, clearly these people really want it though. He, yeah. And I think that's the thing is that ultimately they did really want it. Yeah. Uh, so to debunk this, Elvis's coffin was so heavy because it, was lined with copper. Mm -hmm. There are things that like he wanted a coffin that would rival King Tut's and blah, 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 but it was a copper lined coffin. Yeah. And the thing about the uh, misspelling on the headstone is Elvis just preferred the double A spelling of his name as is proven by Elvis's own signature. He signed his name with a double A Aaron. Okay. So it means fucking nothing. means nothing. Now we move into the sightings. Okay. So first is that we have Elvis popping up in the Memphis airport to buy his death cover up plane ticket. (laughs) That's the very first one about five months later. And I'm not going to lie. I saw this on TV when I was in college and I was like, I don't know what this is, but it's fucking creepy. About five months after his death in December, a man named Mike Joseph was touring Graceland with his family and he's just snapping some pics, right? Mm -hmm. Years later, he's looking at the photos with a magnifying glass and he notices something that he hadn't seen before. Something or someone who looks a lot like Elvis hanging out in the pool house. Um, Yep. I am actually going to hold on. I need to switch my windows around. I am going to send you this. Okay. Scotty, the first picture that I'm going to send you via text is going to be the it's, it's the closest I can get to the undoctored version of the photo. So let's do that. And then you can take a look at it. Okay. So So. explain for our, well, it's, listeners. it's a door. It's like a screen door with uh-huh. a glass front. Mm-hmm. It's a storm door. It's a storm door. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, in front of a house, which I guess is Graceland. And there's a big red circle. And I guess I can see a reflection in the storm door that kind of looks like a person. Well, in fact, I see two reflections that could be a person. Mm-hmm. But man, again, you really got to want it to be like, that's Elvis Presley. Right. Okay. So now I'm going to send you another version. Okay. This is, it's not doctored. It's been, um, what's the word I'm looking for? It's enhanced. It's, uh-huh. Thank you. Okay. Oh, for fuck's sake. <laughs> I mean, that's okay. So now we're looking at a like pretty obviously fake photo of Elvis Presley <laughs> reflected in the storm door. That doesn't, that's not, I'm sorry. That's not a believable. So it's not reflected. It's that he's sitting in the pool house. Oh, okay. I I will say this randomly right by the door, just 
peeking out at people. Right. I will say this is that Kodak has examined the film and has been like, this film has not been tampered with. Okay. Well, the thing is, is that it looks like, it looks like an Elvis impersonator, right? Like it looks so much, it looks so much like Elvis that you're like, it's like stereotypically like. It's more Elvis than Elvis. Yeah. We will throw these pictures up on social media so you guys can decide for yourselves. Uh, (laughs) You can do your own research. Just Um, like Effie Bailey. Right. (laughs) (laughs) The Elvis camp is like, it's not Elvis. It was probably one of his associates, a guy named Al Strada. Like it's, you know, mm. it's not Elvis guys, but okay, many but. remain unconvinced. There's also a photo of Muhammad Ali and Jesse Jackson taken in 1984 that again appears to have an Elvis in the background. Okay. <laughs> I'm going to send you this picture as well, because right. when I say in the background, I think I might've actually seen this one before. <laughs> it's one of those things where I'm like, that's not in the background guys. Like he's directly behind him. I've I've seen this before. Yeah. But okay. okay. (laughs) It's actually, I think it's I think he's a sports agent. I think his name is Larry Kolb. Mm. Let me see. Is that right? Am I am I saying that right? Yeah. The thing is he looks Elvish-ish, but I wouldn't mm, say it's definitive. That's yeah, that's the thing, is that it's like it looks like somebody who was like, no, this is a good kind of grow my hair that way and Mm -hmm. you know, do that thing. Yeah, my mom tells me I look just like (laughs) Elvis Presley. (laughs) Interesting thing is that this dude went on a program and he was like, Larry, Larry Cole went on a program and he was like, it's me. And if you look at the photo in color, because that picture was shown in a newspaper and people were like, oh my God, Elvis was with Muhammad Ali and Jesse Jackson. He's like, if you look at the picture in color, it is clearly me. (laughs) And it's true. When you look at it in color, you're like, oh, it looks much less like Elvis. Yeah. Uh, than it does in black and white. That one feels like a stretch to me. Uh, yeah. I remain a little unconvinced about the pool house, but, okay. um, <laughs> but this one feels like a stretch. Yeah. Uh, in the 1980s, a woman named Louise Welling said that she saw Elvis in line at a Kalamazoo, Michigan supermarket in a white mm. jumpsuit buying an electrical fuse. <laughs> in the white jumpsuit. Like in he's not even white... trying to hide. <laughs> in the white jumpsuit. It's like, well, clearly no one in Kalamazoo, Michigan has ever heard of Elvis Presley, so I'm fine. Right. Welling's daughter would go on to add later more credence to this by saying that she saw Elvis Presley scarfing Whoppers at the local Burger King. And apparently Mm. this was hard to dispute because Burger King was, in fact, Elvis's favorite fast food restaurant. So you got somebody eating a Whopper in Kalamazoo. It's Elvis. I mean, it has to be irrefutable evidence, right? Like these sightings, I'm Scotty. I, I hope that you remember this. Like, do you remember growing up that like the tabloids were always like Elvis oh, is alive? Yeah, I mean, one it was great. So I'm wearing my Weekly World News hat, mm-hmm. and I remember because it was always on the Weekly World News. It was always like Elvis has a summit with aliens from. <laughs> Yes. Sagittarius B or whatever, you know. Yes. Those are always my favorite stories. Yes. Yes. They were incredible. <laughs> it was much more exciting than like he was seen eating a happy meal or whatever. But right, right. Yeah. Apparently Elvis was also cited at California's Legoland in 1999, but it later came out that the park had hired Elvis impersonators <laughs> for the event. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Elvis is also uh, rumored to be an extra in Chris Columbus's movie Home Alone. Yeah, I've heard that one. Mm -hmm. Uh, I'm going to, I'm going to send you that picture as well. It's the scene where Catherine O'Hare 
Kara is at an airport. She's trying to figure out, she's trying to get a ticket to go home. Mm -hmm. And there is a dude standing over her shoulder. He is wearing a turtleneck and a sports coat. He has a beard. And people were like, uh, sorry, that's Elvis. Totes Elvis. The thing is, is that apparently um, it kind of bears a resemblance to, there was some movie that I'm not remembering what it was called, where El- that Elvis did in like the heyday of Elvis when he kind of had a beard. And like, mm-hmm. I mean, they're not dissimilar. Mm-hmm. Apparently also in the scene, the guy kind of cocks his head in the way that people are like, that's exact. like you can find YouTube videos about it where it's just yeah. like the two things side by side of like Elvis cocking his head and this guy cocking is that and it's like and i'm like it's a head cock guys like it's not (laughs) i mean i'm sitting here staring at it and i'm like i mean again it's elvis adjacent in terms of the resemblance right right it's elvis adjacent 100 (laughs) okay so our buddy friend of the pod and paranormal researcher ben radford who i talked about in our very first odds and ends episode he's the guy who did the chupacabra research right um he addressed this theory pretty well with the following he says quote why fake your death and then turn up as an extra in a popular movie (laughs) how would the cast and crew have failed to notice the presence of one of the most famous figures in the world even if he looked very different could he have disguised his voice and mannerisms Mm -hmm. so radford's like guys he's dead like he's dead someone was like oh yeah prove it prove it that elvis isn't dead and go and find the guy who's in the movie and radford was like burden of proof is on the people who think it's elvis bye (laughs) yeah no kidding (laughs) He how, was much, like, how much work do I want to put into yeah, this? Yeah, I have a whole bunch of other shit to figure out. The extra was actually found, was found to be a man named Gary Richard Grott. He unfortunately passed away of a heart attack in 2016. Mm. But Chris Columbus has been like, I would have known if Elvis was on my set, <laughs> right? guys. Like, okay. Yeah. Um, it's also believed that Elvis has remained at Graceland to this day, and he's taken mm-hmm. on the persona of a groundskeeper. Mm-hmm. Um, I heard that one too. Yeah. An old man surrounded by security guards with gray hair and a beard, sunglasses, and a baseball cap was seen at Elvis's 82nd birthday. And then has been seen in videos in groundskeeper mode. Mm. Um, There is a video of this dude. He's also wearing like an Elvis week (laughs) t-shirt and he's like messing with like a hose or something. Right. And then he takes, he got caught on camera. Mm-hmm. on video and he takes a couple of steps and then they're like and then he flashes a, a numerical symbol mm-hmm. okay i'm gonna show you and then we're gonna describe it i'm gonna show you what the guy does in the video he does this okay i mean what he does is he yeah. he goes to scratch in front of his ear and he has his middle finger and his pointer finger up and he scratches so with it's almost the like ring a finger v- or with yeah the and almost finger. like a v kind of yeah the thing is, is that it's not a symbol. It's just somebody's fucking mannerisms, guys. Yeah, it's just someone scratching their fucking face. Like, that's, yeah, that's what that is. Yeah, it's like you were like, you were like, I'm going to do this and then you're going to describe it. And I was like, am I missing something? <laughs> I know. Did she, was that it? <laughs> yeah. That's actually a dude who works at Graceland. His name is Bill Barmer. Mm-hmm. Like. That's who he is. Okay, <laughs> there we go. He's also been rumored to like be in Argentina and that he mm. like, you know, is drinking coffee in a Tim Hortons and all sorts of stuff. The question remains, 
if Elvis were alive, why would he fake his own death? Yeah. Theorists have a couple of answers for that too. The first is that Nixon really did bring Elvis on as a secret narcotics <laughs> agent <laughs> and his dangerous and patriotic work meant that he had to go into hiding, okay. which he apparently sucks at. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. This is not witness protection. This is mm-hmm. like a dude being like, guys, <laughs> I'm at the, I'm at the Burger King. I'm at Tim Hortons. Yeah. Um, the second is that Elvis got involved with the mafia and had to go into hiding, mm-hmm. which he sucks at. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's <laughs> also a theory that Elvis wanted to get out of the limelight and live a quiet life, but like he could have just pulled a Paul McCartney. Right. Just get a farm somewhere. He could have just retired. Yeah. I mean, um, fucking Johnny Carson, when he quit the Tonight Show, he just moved to fucking Nebraska or something. Right. No one, no one heard from the dude again. Yeah. Like, like it's possible. It. Yeah. yeah. The biggest theory is that Elvis was enlisted by the FBI as an undercover agent to help them fight a criminal organization called the Fraternity. Well, I mean, this makes sense. Absolutely. Presley actually volunteered to do this because of his love of America and his <laughs> respect for the FBI. Well, and yeah. when he was discovered as a mole... He had to go into hiding, yeah, which he sucks at. Um, <laughs> the thing about this to me, and the thing is, is that like books have been written about this. Oh, There's yeah. a woman who is like, I have combed through the FBI files and mm-hmm. blah, blah, blah. The biggest thing to me is why would the FBI choose Elvis, arguably one of the most recognizable people on the earth, to yeah. go undercover as a mole when they had literally I mean, anyone else, it makes as much sense as faking Paul McCartney's death and then planting like gentle clues to gently let your audience right to lead know. them to the realization. correct conclusion. Right. The thing is, <laughs> yeah. is that the FBI did have a file on Elvis Presley. And it's because, you know, the Catholic Church was like, hey, he's, well, he, you know, he's too much of a titillation. Elvis, hips. Yeah. Elvis also got scammed by someone uh like mm. a pretty famous scammer so they had stuff on that they had like mm-hmm. he was a well, famous I guy mean, they had an fbi file on him. i mean like jagger hoover had an fbi i mean he probably had an fbi file on me right you know, and i wasn't even yeah. born yet i mean he had an right. fbi file on literally everybody yes precisely not unsurprisingly the fbi has not commented on these theories <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we're waiting on fucking pins and needles for that yes, press conference. We're still waiting, <laughs> FBI. The truth will out. Um, <laughs> so, you know, I mean, like at the end of the day, guys, Elvis is dead. It's really yeah. fucking unfortunate. He employed a doctor who was only too willing to overprescribe dangerous mm-hmm. medications, and he died that day in August of 1977. Like, and we know, we know from the deaths of Michael Jackson, Heath Ledger. um, Basically the same thing happened to Michael Jackson, the the doctor and everything. Right. Prince too, wasn't it? I think so. Yeah. Wasn't he, hadn't he been overprescribed? I think, I think that's correct. Yeah. I mean, like it happens, you know, and this isn't a singular case. And at the end of the day, it's just, it's a really sad end to the life of one of the most well-known and influential musicians to come out of this country. But it was in fact the end. Yeah. It was just a tragedy. Yeah. And that is just a little bit about the Elvis is alive conspiracy theories. I do, do got to say, like, there is a uh, novella by one of my favorite writers, a guy named Joe R. Lansdale, and it uh-huh. was turned into a movie. It's called Bubba Hotep. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's about an aged Elvis Presley hiding out in a nursing home, befriending a black man who is convinced that he is John F. Kennedy, and then the two of them teaming up to fight an ancient mummy. 
because of course it's it's a i mean the story is a lot of fun and and the yeah. movie if you've never seen the movie it's just a great b movie there was also i guess a bunch of theories that jim morrison faked his death too but i, don't, I mean I don't details about that yeah i think at the end of the day it's just really hard to like think that this is going to happen i do you find it interesting, though, that like Mama Cass died, Billie mm-hmm. Holiday died. There have been plenty of female musicians who have met untimely ends. Yeah, and we don't get the same. No. Nope. No. It is It is also interesting, too, you know, to think about the Elvis on the toilet, Mama Cass, you know, choked on a ham sandwich. Mm-hmm. Uh, Karen Carpenter. Karen Carpenter's another one who yeah. died. And I yeah, think there are, I think there are conspiracy theories about Karen Carpenter. I think I have really? read that there are people who think she's still alive. Really? Yeah. I don't, I mean, I could be wrong, but I feel like I've heard that or read that. Somewhere. Interesting. I mean, I, clearly has not caught on the way Elvis. Right, 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 right. Do you remember the big one from the nineties? This one is completely ridiculous. So after Kurt Cobain died, the theory is that he actually faked his death and then popped up short time later is another rock star by the name of Rivers Cuomo. And that Kurt Cobain is actually the lead singer of Weezer. <laughs> <laughs> what yeah i'm gonna go, i'm gonna go watch youtube videos about this now <laughs> i always feel like that one that one's so gen x because it's like there's a lot of irony in that like i'm <laughs> not sure anybody believes that one <laughs> yeah <laughs> Oh my God. Yeah. It's, uh, you know, like I love a good conspiracy theory for entertainment value. Um, I actually just listened to, there's a podcast that does as one of their like special offshoots, they do like conspiracy theory, like examination slash debunking. Mm-hmm. series and they just did one on the birds aren't real movement oh yeah and that is a trip man mm-hmm. like it is one fact a 100 percent piece of performance art it is oh yeah the guy does not believe that birds aren't real it is right. he's he's basically trolling conspiracy theorists yeah. and is so committed to the troll it borders on like there's some brilliance there with oh the, yeah no with i i think thing. it's i think it's pretty brilliant it, it's like performance art banksy or something like, yeah, yeah yeah and just the strangest just the strangest thing but like yeah i think this stuff always makes me like i like i think it makes me a little sad right because there is just this element of with believing that public figures have faked their own death that it's just mm-hmm. like those people can't let just, go yeah, they're just, they're gone. Like, they're yeah. just, they're just really gone. Well, yeah. I can find it so, I mean, I mean, because, you know, we, I mean, we've talked about conspiracy theories and stuff a fair amount on this mm-hmm. show. And uh, you, uh, we really got into it when you were talking about the Denver airport stuff. Yeah. Just like you said, I mean, the mentality of believing in this stuff is so it's like i mean it's total confirmation bias and it's total just like you you believe it because you really like need it to be true because of something in you and it is fascinating to me that these things do sort of pop up at weird times of cultural stress you know like the 60s 80s satanic panic Mm -hmm. now we've got QAnon and everything Mm -hmm. yeah yeah it's there were a ton of conspiracies about september 11th Mm -hmm. like it's you're right there it's it sort of is like a stress test right Right. in society but yeah i mean like bad stuff happens and sad stuff happens and that's what it is and a lot of times it doesn't mean anything Right. There's no grander purpose behind it. Right. The shitty thing is, is that sometimes there actually are fucking conspiracy theories. Like there are, there are conspiracies rather. Well, I mean, I mean, like I mentioned MKUltra, like 
weirdest thing, believability scale, that's like a 50 because mm-hmm. it's like, it fucking happened. It's documented, yeah. you know? Yeah. You know, and there, there are things that I think are like, oh, we do not have the full story on that. You know, everybody's like, what happened to JFK? Mm-hmm. Um, and the truth of the matter is, is that like, once you really get down into it and you, you, you do start to do it, this, the same podcast that I was talking about also basically did a debunking on all the JFK stuff. Mm-hmm. But there is a thing that I'm like, Marilyn Monroe's death is sketchy as hell. Oh, 100%. Like, it, that's one I'm inclined. That's I'm inclined to believe. We should do that at some point because that's one I'm inclined to believe. Some of those, yeah. And there, you know, it's very possible that there are some more like nefarious mm-hmm. things going on there. And governments do do stuff. But like a big thing with the Elvis thing that I don't know if it was was our our paranormal buddy, but somebody was like, "You are talking about a conspiracy. You are talking about hundreds, if not." thousands of people right coming together and it's the same thing with JFK coming together to do a cover up mm-hmm. the reason you know some people might be like why are you going to believe Marilyn Monroe but you're not going to believe JFK Marilyn Monroe was an assassinated in public yeah she was found dead in her home right Exactly. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like there's one, maybe two people that might've been involved in that. Yeah. That is much easier for me to believe than. I mean, know. I, I still have questions about JFK, but I'm like, for me, the JFK stuff is it's like, I'm not willing to say one way or the other, but as I've gotten older, I'm probably more skeptical than I was when I was younger. Right. And then on the Marilyn Monroe stuff, I didn't know a lot of that until fairly recently. And like, yeah. I mean, we really should do a dive into that at some point because that's a fascinating story. And I think that one is, there's some credibility Yeah. in some of that. Yeah. So, you know, as always, question everything. Always look mm-hmm. for the source information mm-hmm. <laughs> about stuff, right. as always. <laughs> um, and other than that, I guess I think we're ready to wrap up. Yeah. 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 Awesome. So. You guys have been great. Thanks for being patient with me while my face healed uh, from <laughs> being broken on the inside of my face. Um, you guys are absolutely incredible. Please subscribe, rate, review, stay weird, stay curious, and we'll see you next time. Bye. Bye. So listen, friends, we'll blow your mind with the finest nonsense we could find. Might be true, and that's the weirdest thing.